This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So welcome back to Uplifting Impact. I am so glad I get to spend this afternoon talking to my dear friend, Morales. She is the person who, if you want to talk about education and you want to talk about how to show up in a way that really supports an inclusive environment, she is the person that you want to talk to. She is considered a thought leader, really with a mission to change the way that we invest in professionals who work with our young citizens every single day. She's an experienced educational executive who champions restructuring of education and building dynamic internal and external external relationships that lead to high quality educational practices and solutions across the country. When you look at the work that she has done and you look at the pathways that she's created for young people, there is no way that you can walk away without feeling inspired. And we get to have her on the show today, y'all. So we're so happy to have you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So as we jump into this work, my favorite question to ask guests right away is how did you get here? How did you get into this space and doing this kind of work? Yeah, it's so interesting because I think my whole career has been about taking the next step and taking a chance. I tell young people that all the time. Don't believe that you have to have all the things in place before you take that next opportunity. And For me, ever since I was 16 years old, every single job I've had, I haven't been qualified for. On paper, I haven't had all of the boxes checked. (laughs) And uh, I've, I've just been that person who's been willing to take that opportunity and take that chance. Some people will convince themselves out of an opportunity. They'll say, you know, somebody will say, see that leadership in you and say, you know, I see a leadership potential. I think you'd be great for this role. And a lot of the people I know will look and say, well, I don't think I'm ready. I haven't had this experience. I don't have the education. I don't have all the background. I don't think that I can do it. And they won't even give it a shot. I'm completely the opposite. I think I've, you know, the thing that I've had my whole life is that kind of overconfidence, uh, especially <laughs> when, I, when I was younger. Um, I was naive enough to believe that I could do anything. I really just gave everything a shot until here I am after 17 years in the education space, leading an educational nonprofit, a goal I wrote for myself many, many years ago. I said, one day I want to run an educational something that's national. And Uh I remember my husband saying, is that a goal? What is that? I don't even, (laughs) I've never heard of that. And I said, I don't know, but it's going to come along and I'm going to go for it. That's Um, awesome. And here we are. So, yeah. That's awesome. And we all get to benefit from it. So I want to go back to something that you said, because one of the things you just mentioned is that, you know, a lot of times people don't see themselves in, in leadership roles, or they don't see, you know, how they could possibly do that next thing. And that's something that comes really naturally to you. But the other thing that comes really naturally to you is your ability to help people get over that hump. 
right? To get over that. And so what is it that you're doing to try and create the environment where young people can really see like the kind of inclusive environment where a young person could see their own leadership skills and see their own potential to move into the next step, the next, the next big mountain? Yeah, I think it's really important for me to create a culture of that. So I run a staff of 33 people and 120 AmeriCorps members. So I I can't be the only one doing that. I can't be the only one saying, Mm -hmm. hey, I see this in you, because there's just no possible way that I could do that for 150 people. I need to make sure that that culture is built in. And so constantly getting together and setting things in place, naming it for my managers and saying to my managers, this is the kind of culture that I expect. I expect there to be growth here. I expect there to be a naming of somebody's skills. I expect you to approach your role with some kind of coaching in mind so that that experience trickles across the site and not just me doing that. And then obviously you have to model that as a leader. If you want that to be seen across your you know, whatever your organization is and you're the leader, then you really need to be modeling that and naming that in the people that you have that direct contact with. No, what you're describing, you know, is definitely, it's about leadership, but it really is going at this main topic that we're talking about, which is creating inclusive and equitable environments. So when you think about yourself as a leader, right, you've just talked about naming this and making sure that your expectations are clear, but what are some of the other things that you do as a leader to create that culture and and really encourage people to help you get that message across the entire organization? Yeah. I think naming it is the first thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you really have to think about what are your values as a leader, right? So what are the values that you're leading with? What are the values that you're making decisions with? And then being very transparent. So, you know, right now we're going through a situation, not only as a site, but as a community and as a country and as a world where we have to be really intentional about naming the values that we're leading with. I got a chance to talk to my site even this morning and I just reminded them, you know, the the two values that I'm leading with right now today are your safety and your well-being and also transparency. So those are the two things that I'm leading with and that's what you can expect from me. And so just being really honest with ourselves and with our people on our values. After that, I think it comes to operationalizing our values. Your values really mean nothing if your policies and your practices and the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis are not matching those two things. So I've got to be really careful about the messages that I'm sending through my policies and through my practices as, as a leader and not just, not just espouse the values without really (laughs) having something to back that up. And that's really important to people. So when you're looking at your policies, you know, you're like, okay, I know that these two things have to be connected. What are some of the questions that you ask yourself or some of the questions you want your team to be asking when they're looking at the policies? Yeah. Um, So when we're looking at the policies, we really think about who does this benefit, right? So that's like the first thing, right? Does this policy only benefit or speak to white middle-class values, which a lot of policies and organizations, even the organization that I run, an organization that is extremely diverse, even our organization can succumb to having policies that only benefit white middle-class values, right? And Mm -hmm. so we really have to think about that critically and, and kind of 
look through it, right? So for example, during this time, we've got organizational priorities and some organizational priorities are not balancing or really jiving with the experiences that people are having at home, right? If you're a single mother with, you know, one or two or three children and you have to be responsible for their care and their education during this time. And at the same time, I'm asking you to go business as usual and get all the things done that I was expecting you to do a month ago when you had childcare and you had all these other things in place and a community and a system, that really is a place where I've got to look over my policies. So my team right away started to think about everything from end of year performance reviews for our staff to even our organizational priorities and resetting our organizational priorities reordering them and restructuring them out loud and then also making sure that people had the support to to see that reality. So I think that's a a question that leaders need to be asking themselves is what are my organizational priorities right now? Who is represented? Who is best served? And how can I make sure that I have the intention that I want to have as it relates to DNI? So you said all of that and it all makes a lot of sense to me, but I want to push you a little bit further. Yeah. Because I think that sometimes you can state your values, you can ask the right questions, and then you realize that the answer is not what you hope for at all, right? Because it's really hard to say, you know, for example, you're running an organization that's very dependent on its fundraising goals. And so it's very hard to say, you know what, Mm. Right now, because, you know, we're in the situation where COVID is wrecking havoc on all of our, you know, (laughs) daily practices and the things that we sort of took for granted, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. But your fundraising need doesn't go away. So you have two competing priorities, right? And so when when it comes to that, when you have that moment where you're like, wow, this is really hard because I have two competing priorities. One, how do you communicate that to your team so that they can see the struggle? Because I imagine that has to be part of it. And two, how do you pull those back apart and still make a decision? Yeah. Uh, so I think two ways. Number one, I think the struggle is definitely real. And the struggle isn't only now. I think there are many times where leaders will struggle. Mm-hmm. We're all going to struggle when things seem like competing priorities, right? And I've certainly been in that situation. I think it's really important to think about in those moments, who's at the table and who can help me really assess what is needed here. Mm -hmm. One big thing that I rely on as a leader is my team. I very rarely, if ever, make any decisions in a vacuum. I'm not going to say never because I'm definitely not a perfect person. And I definitely, there are moments where I have to, you know, kind of like, say this is what it's going to be and y'all have to come with me and ride with me. (laughs) And I think that's (laughs) leadership too. Um, But typically I'm really thinking about who needs to be at the table, whose input can I, can I find in this moment and how can I make sure that I get to the root of what, what's at the heart here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times if you pick it apart enough, you can get to that root of what is it that we're really saying we value with the issue of fundraising. Right. So I think it's really interesting right now in our community, funds in our community from foundations and from individuals are going towards basic needs in our community. And though my organization, I think, is essential and important for young people, it's not a basic need. 
I have to be really honest about that, right? It's right. not food, it's not shelter, it's not healthcare. And I have to also be understanding that that is where the funds are going to go in this moment. And I've mm-hmm. got to be respectful of that. I've got to I've got to make sure that I've got a contingency plan for that. And then I've got to also make sure that we stay mission focused, right? right? Because as a leader, I can't readjust our mission to go towards basic needs just so that I can chase that dollar. That's not going to serve anybody, right? Right. So how do we stay in our lane? How do we do what we can, where we are to support our people right now, have a plan in place as a contingency, and then be ready when the the time to support students comes back? Because it will come back, right? So how do we stay ready for that? That's really awesome. It's very forward thinking, right? It's about not getting so stuck in in that moment. It's about being able to look past that moment and know that if you stay true to your values, you'll be okay, right? Because those moments are, like you said, it could be COVID. It could be, I mean, it could be all kinds of different things that would trip us up. Yeah. But I think it's in those moments, if you stay true to it, that that's, that that's what really tests you as a leader. And I think in the diversity, equity, inclusion space, it plays uh, out really hard. So one of the things that I want to talk about, because you're uniquely positioned to really talk about this, is just how we bring up young people and how we really engage and support young people in their pursuits of their dreams and how we create, you know, opportunities for there to be more diversity in some of our different sectors, right? by making sure that young people who are coming from diverse backgrounds are also getting access to those pipelines. So what I'm saying this in all kinds of ways, but what I mean is how can we help put young people into those pipelines? Because too, you know, often we hear people say, well, I can't, I can't, you know, create more diversity in my organization because mm-hmm. I don't have the right people. Right. So how do we, I, first of all, I don't believe that. So <laughs> just, we'll just put pause on that, but how do we make sure that we're constantly kind of increasing those opportunities for young people? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's gotta be a lot of humility. It all starts with humility in ourselves as an older generation for young people, young people mm-hmm. can lead us so well. And in so many ways, if we just get out of the way. (laughs) And I'm sure that a lot of people are seeing this now, even with their young children in their home. Yes. Young people have the energy. They have the creativity. They are not beholden to all the kind of schema that we make (laughs) up and hold ourselves back with. Yes. <laughs> we make all these barriers and all these things difficult and young people don't have any of that. They come to the table and everything is an option. And so I think it starts with us as leaders really approaching this work with humility, really approaching it with questions and really being willing to get out of the way and create succession plans. I am a big fan of succession planning in my own work. I'm a big fan of my team thinking about succession planning and And knowing that I don't have to be the one that's always in this role in Mm -hmm. order for my organization to be successful, right? There's going to be a young person that comes after me and they're going to do it much better. How do I set them up for success? How do I set my community up for success in that way? And those are questions that we need to be asking. I think the other thing is that we need to be really patient in making sure that our young people have access to the kinds of experiences that they need to fill the roles that we need. So I Mm. hear a lot about there's not enough diverse candidates in the pool for um, things like tech, right? Things like STEM. I, 
I would argue with that. Like you, I'd really believe that. But I do think that we have to be patient in making sure that we can provide the onboarding that's that young people need, the professional development that they need, rather mm-hmm. than expecting people to come to the table as is, and we're going to just like put them to work and and kind of squeeze everything out of them, right? Right. <laughs> so we need to really be willing to look at it more as a partnership. I think one of the things that's been frustrating for me is when you hear people who are not willing to make that kind of accommodation, they think it's an extra thing. But I've been managing people for a really long time in a lot of different sectors. And I have never had an experience where somebody, doesn't matter what their background was, where they came from before, if it was a successful candidate that stayed with the organization, it was because we had strong onboarding. Yes. Right. And the onboarding was really differentiated based off of where they had needs and what their skills were. And sometimes I think we're too quick to write off young people because they haven't had, you know, what in our mind is the is the requisite skills or the requisite experience when the very best way to train them is in that moment, right? Because we can help them get it in the way and in a in a way that's gonna be really conducive to our organization. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a a double-edged sword that I think ends up cutting us a lot because yeah. we're not giving young people that that platform. Yeah. So another question just about this in particular, because you work a lot with AmeriCorps. So can you yeah. tell me what you think about like the idea of service as a pathway uh, towards you know, career and, and involvement and being involved in some of these other leadership opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I I have a very big passion for service, not only in my personal life, but obviously in my professional life. I really do think, especially giving young people an opportunity to, to serve at a national level with National Service and AmeriCorps, um, it's just transformative. So I'm, I'm really big on, on transformational journeys for our young people. And I see the young people that start at city or at the beginning of the year and completely, you know, the, their transformation throughout the year, I get to see that on an annual basis. And I'm so lucky, but mm-hmm. some of the things that I think are, are really valuable about national service, number one, it gets you outside of, of yourself, right? It gets mm-hmm. your, your view outside of focusing on yourself and looking at the other and seeing what somebody else needs right. and fulfilling those needs. My dad used to say, you have to give to receive right? Yes. You don't have, you don't have everything and then you give, right? <laughs> you have to start at the give part. Um, even right. if you feel empty handed and our young people come and they are willing to give and what they get out of it is a lot more. The other thing that I see national service as a vehicle for really solving some of the, the issues that we're struggling with as, as a nation. So we're struggling right now with urban public education, This is a struggle across our country. How do we make this equitable? Even right now, we're seeing the digital divide I hear so much about, right? And how can we engage young people in solving these issues with us is is the question, right? National Conservation Corps does the same thing with with our national parks. They engage young people in in looking at those spaces and how we make them better, how we conserve them, how we how we keep them healthy and, and beautiful for us. And so it's really thinking about how do we engage young people. And the third thing that's really cool about national service is that it helps us eliminate the education debt, which right now the education debt in our country is just, 
I don't even know what the words are. <laughs> Exorbitant. I mean, you, it's like you need a thesaurus, but <laughs> so many words. All the words for big. Please exactly. just include them here. <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at the Seagull Education Award and how that reduces um, young people's education debt, gives them an opportunity to go back to school. I have young people that say to me, you know, I'm going to do two years of AmeriCorps and then I get to go to school because that's the that's only awesome. way they're going to be able to afford that without yeah. getting themselves into debt, which obviously we don't want to encourage. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a really great way to, to engage our young people. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a huge proponent, as you know, of the AmeriCorps program. And I think it's been really encouraging, especially uh, in the last, I would say, I don't know, five, six, seven years to see organizations take a more adamant stance on making sure that the AmeriCorps core is very diverse and comes yeah. from a lot of different backgrounds and really supporting initiatives that allow for organizations to bring in, you know, people who look like America because it is the America core. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's just really exciting. And I know that that, that city year has really helped spur that and really helped, you know, encourage that. So I'm just incredibly grateful that we're seeing those changes happen and that it is becoming something that is more universal and, you know, is a platform for other people to be able to, to build off of. So we only have just a few more minutes together. I'm just wondering, as you think about this diversity, equity, and inclusion space, like, what do you think are some critical things that, you know, you have a lot of leaders listening to you. What do you think are some critical things that we should be doing in our own practices? Yeah. You know, I think it's really important to build a culture of conversation around mm-hmm. DEI, right? Thinking about how we are establishing this conversation, bringing this conversation to the table. At first, it's going to be uncomfortable. We've had situations where people are uncomfortable where we bring up these conversations. And so they, mm-hmm. need, to be, they need to be brought up with sensitivity and with thought. But I do think people are also eager to have these conversations around DEI. I think it's also important for people who are part of the majority group, right? So whatever that group is, typically it's white males, right? And in our organizations that you take responsibility and ownership for your own learning, that you don't Mm -hmm. put that on somebody else and that you don't say, you know, to the person of color in the room, teach me everything that I need to know. There's so many books out there. There's so many great podcasts like this one. There are so many There's so much information available to us and it's really up to uh, each one of us to do the work. I think the work of DEI is so personal. It starts with ourselves, which is why so many people push it off because (laughs) working on ourselves is hard. (laughs) (laughs) And, And in order for you to be a leader that values DEI, you've got to do a lot of the work of looking at yourself and seeing where it is that you need to improve what are the types of things that you've maybe kind of espoused or put into practice that really probably aren't serving, aren't serving your community and aren't serving a more diverse group. And so we've got to be really honest with ourselves about that. I think that's where, where it begins for leaders. 
Well, obviously you have done a lot of that hard work. And so thank you for that. Thank you also for making sure that you're giving those skills and really showcasing those skills to all of the young people that you get to work with. You are just such a light and we're so happy that you're here in the Milwaukee community. I know that we share you on a national scale too. And I'm happy about that also because you just have so much so much to offer. So I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners who just want to stay connected to you, want to learn more about your work and, and how you are doing this. How do they do that? Yeah. So I'm, you can go to my website, Miralis Hood, M-E-R-A-L-I-S-H-O-O-D.com. I'm also on Twitter under Miralis Hood and LinkedIn. So I would love to see you there. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we put those in the show notes. So thank you again for everything that you do. We're just so happy to see you here and just love that we'll be able to stay connected. And to all of our listeners and viewers, we just want to say thank you for participating. Thanks for leading. We know that you're uplifting impact and we're glad that you're doing it with us. And we can't wait to see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.